Welcome to the Dreadcast. I'm Donovan Dread. In this episode, we're going to hear stories from six different people describing their very odd and strange encounters with the supernatural. But before we get into the stories, check out dreadsarmy.com for daily news of the strange and weird. Now here's the stories. I'm a park ranger working in the Grand Canyon National Park. I usually end up on daily patrols and bus kids for drinking near the edge of the canyon. Sometimes I write citations and tickets for camping violations and reports about wildlife issues. Once in a while, we'll have a missing persons case. Lately, these cases have been becoming more and more common. Now, the first few missing campers they broadcast on the news. The first one was a girl last May. She was that hippie free spirit type, driving her van all through the states stopping in all the best campsites and all the best parks all over. She was all by herself and no one even noticed she was gone till they hadn't seen her posts on her Instagram in a few weeks. Her last calls and texts were to her family on the same day that she last posted. Her phone was turned off for good that same day and the geotag pinpointed her in the desert. We sent out a search party, over 100 people canvassing the area. It's pretty tough to survive out in the desert. There's no water, no food, and it's scorching hot during the day and cold at night. We found her van parked and nothing seemed abnormal. She had some almonds soaking in a jar to make almond milk or something. She was planning on coming back to that van. It had been a week, so at that point we assumed that we were looking for a body. We didn't find many signs out there in the desert of her at all. The only thing that we found that could have been hers was a little fanny pack with some granola bars in it. Really, we don't even know if that was hers or not. The canine rescue team seemed to think so. In all, though, it was like she vanished into thin air. Now, a young girl going missing is sad, but it isn't too out of the ordinary. There's bad men out there, and a pretty little thing like that is vulnerable. Plus, there's high rocks and sandstorms and risk of heat exhaustion. If you're traveling without a guide, you're even at bigger risk of trouble. It started to get more odd when more and more people were going missing. A young man from Idaho traveling with his girlfriend went to pee behind a rock near Mather Point and never walked back over. There were tons of tourists and hikers nearby. No one saw anything weird, and there weren't any caves or craters around. He just up and vanished. An onlooker had stated they had seen a blue light flash during the situation, but no one else corroborated their story. The news never mentioned this and the papers left it out too. Some people on Facebook suspected the light could have been a rescue flare or a flashlight. I don't think so. The next problem was a family camping out in the trailers. There were a pack of RVers, a husband, a wife, two sons about 10 and 12 years old. They'd set out to hike the North Rim and left around 8 a.m. They'd signed the check-in sheets and denied the opportunity to have a local guide with them. By evening, when they hadn't signed out, we sent out a search party. Helicopters and dog teams and tons of volunteers went over the next few weeks. There was nothing coming up. There didn't seem to be any evidence of foul play. There weren't any storms or abnormalities. There weren't any signs of wildlife. No mountain lions anywhere in the area, and they definitely couldn't have taken down a whole family of four. A husband and wife went missing next. There isn't a ton of information about them, but we think the husband was live streaming right as they went missing. 
The video footage was scrubbed from the internet, but one of their friends described the clip to me as a witness in our investigation. They told me that the video showed them hiking towards the edge of the canyon, where we think is the Bright Angel Trailhead. The wife was walking backwards and laughing, when all of a sudden she disappeared from view. The husband dropped down the phone and gasped, and then a bright blue light overtook the screen. At that point, the video feed ended. We went to check out the site. We didn't find anything out of the ordinary. Of course, we canvassed the area and sent out yet another search crew. But at this point, the entire ranger team were all feeling dejected and like the entire operation was pointless. We'd been staying up long nights on these search teams and hadn't solved a single thing. Well, the story starts to get really interesting when the black vans started rolling in. I don't know if they were FBI, CIA, NSA, or NASA, or what. Maybe some program we don't even know about yet. But they are definitely interested in whatever is going on around the canyon. They've set up shop in a big lot with a tall barbed wire fence surrounding the area. There's always those black vans going out all hours of the day and night. They drive all through the park, but I'm not sure they always go back in once they've gone out. Well, I've looked over there with my binoculars some nights. Don't judge me. I've started to see those blue lights flash once in a while. Usually it's through the windows of some warehouse. But they sometimes just appear out of nowhere, right out in the middle of the lot. The lights just pop up for an instant and they're gone. Whatever is going on, I don't want any part of it. I hope those folks are the good guys. And maybe they'll be able to figure out what's going on with those missing people lately. I just hope that they're not the ones causing the issue. Hi Donovan, I'm not sure who else to tell my story to. Everyone will say I'm crazy, or that my imagination ran away with me. But it was the most chilling thing that I've ever seen. And it shook my belief system to the core. I can no longer say what's possible or impossible. Everyone knows Savannah is reported to be one of America's most haunted cities. I've visited several times, and even stayed in rooms that were supposed to be hotbeds of supernatural activity. But I never saw anything, not even an orb. Savannah's a great place to visit anyway, so I stopped ghost hunting and booked a weekend trip with my sister just to relax. We weren't planning on doing anything spooky. I don't know if you or anyone else hearing this is familiar with Factors Walk in Savannah. Factors Walk is a multi-level brick and cobblestone area dividing two streets along the Savannah River. It kind of looks like a back alley behind the waterfront restaurants, but it's a very interesting historical area. Reportedly, there are tunnel systems running all under Savannah for a whole host of reasons. The tunnels that are now sealed over at Factors Walk were used mostly for transporting slaves unloading from the ships in secret, away from prying eyes. There are also tunnels under certain restaurants that claim they were used by nefarious sea captains to Shanghai unsuspecting tavern patrons, forcing them into service at sea. So Factors Walk area, like most of Savannah, is supposed to be haunted. But I'm not done with ghost chasing. So after my sister and I had purchased refreshments from a local cafe, I decided to sit and people watch on a nearby bench while investigating the Klusky Vaults. The Klusky Vaults were built in 1840, 
and are open to the public to explore. Some people speculate they were once passageways that connected the Klusky vaults to the rest of the tunnel network. Today, the vaults look like underground storage units, just big, dark rooms built with brick and stone, set in the side of an embankment. My sister walked inside the first one, and I let my gaze wander, thinking about where we should eat dinner. After a few minutes, I looked up and I didn't see her. You can't see all the way inside the vaults from where I was sitting, so I wasn't concerned, until a few minutes later when she hadn't reappeared. I watched for a few minutes more, staring at the four different entrances. Unsure if she had merged and popped out into a different vault to explore, I started to become concerned and stood up, intending to find her. I took a few steps forward and called her name. Suddenly, she appeared, standing in the doorway of the same vault I had seen her enter. I walked in her direction and she was staring at me with this bright smile on her face. But her face looked weird shiny, almost plastic. I was about 25 feet away at the time. She didn't look quite like herself, but it was hard to say what was off. Maybe her eyes, sharp and glittering. They looked a little unmatched, like maybe they were set at slightly different heights from each other. Her grin looked lopsided and fake, and stuck in the same expression. There was something not quite right about her, and she didn't speak. She just stared at me with that weird, unchanging grin. Lynn? I walked closer, frowning. Are you okay? I had gotten about 15 feet away when she abruptly turned and walked back into the vault. I thought maybe it was some kind of joke, like she knew I wasn't into the spooky stuff anymore, and she was planning on popping out and scaring me when I followed her inside. You know, just for laughs. So I stopped right where I was, and I called her name. Lynn! I know I sounded impatient. Then I heard it my sister's voice calling to me, not from inside the vault, but from behind me. I whirled around and there was Lynn, frowning as she walked towards me. What's going on? she asked. She still had the coffee cup from Cafe M in her hand. I stared at her, totally uncomprehending. Where were you? I asked. The hairs on my arms started to rise, and I felt goosebumps. She pointed to the row of vaults to her right. I checked them all out. I just came out of the last one, and you were standing there calling my name. What's going on? My knees felt weak. What had I seen? It looked like Lynn. No, correction. It looked like something that was trying to look like Lynn, but not quite succeeding. I must have gone pale, because Lynn grabbed my arm and steered me back over to the bench. I kept my eyes fixed on that first vault while I told her what had happened, but nothing ever emerged. She told me then the first vault had felt really uncomfortable to her, and she'd spent less than a minute inside. It felt so claustrophobic and depressing. There was this sense of dark energy in there with me, she said. We both just stared at that first vault, wondering what it had been. What sort of creature could take on the appearance of my sister? And stepped forth into the sunlight. Had it tried to lure me in there? For what purpose? Do you want to go in there and look? Lynn asked me. She sounded scared too. I shook my head. Most definitely not. Whatever was in there, trying to escape from that vault on Factor's Walk, was not something I ever wished to encounter again. The craziest thing happened to me a couple of years ago. 
when my friends and I rented this cabin in the middle of the woods for a couple of nights. We were celebrating a friend's birthday, so we all pitched in and split the cost of an Airbnb. This place was gorgeous, with amazing views all around. There were mountain views as far as the eye could see, and a beautiful creek running right through the property. There was nobody around, just wildlife and beautiful nature. That night we had a nice fire going, and we were just relaxing and laughing. We heard this strange echoing laughter coming from the woods. We all just froze and stayed quiet, listening to hear it again. A while passed and we just kind of brushed it off. Then about a half hour later, we hear the sound again. Creepy, haunting laughter. We decided to investigate. We grabbed some flashlights and headed into the forest. We entered the woods and started looking around with our flashlights. We didn't see or hear anything, so we went deeper into the forest. We stopped again and just listened for a while, but we didn't hear any noise. We were about to head back when a beautiful blonde woman in a long flowered dress walked over to us. She asked who we were, and we told her that we were renting the cabin nearby and heard a strange sound in the woods. She asked what sound we heard, and we told her it was a strange, creepy laugh. The woman told us that she hadn't laughed since her beloved husband was brutally stabbed to death in the middle of the night. None of us knew what to say. I just said, sorry for your loss. She thanked me and invited us to come over to her home and further investigate the strange sound. We agreed and followed her through the woods into her home. We arrived at this pretty little cottage with a garden in the front, and she said that was her house, and she brought us in. We sat down in the living room, and she started making us some tea. She asked us how long we had been searching for the source of the sound, and we told her a little over an hour. She said that other people that have rented that Airbnb have claimed to have heard strange sounds coming from the forest, but to her knowledge, nobody ever found anything. I asked her what kind of sounds people heard. She said that people have heard screams, cries, and strange animal sounds, but never laughter. When we asked her if she had ever heard anything, she said there are all kinds of wicked things around here. I asked her why she didn't move. She said that her husband had built the house, and all of her fondest memories were in this house. We sat in the living room talking about all kinds of crazy things until very late. We were all exhausted and figured it was time to head back to the cabin and call it a night. Shortly after we left, we hear the laughter again this time very loudly. It was as if the laughter was coming from the blonde woman's house. When we looked back, we saw a woman peering through her window at us. It wasn't the same woman. She had gray skin and black hair and black eyes, and an evil nasty grin. We ran back to the cabin as quickly as we could, and we kept hearing the laughter trail off behind us. We immediately packed up and drove down the road. We stopped at a motel that we passed and spent the night there. The next morning, we got breakfast at a local diner, and we started talking about what had happened. We looked at the reviews on the Airbnb, and several people claimed the house was haunted. Multiple people claimed they heard creepy sounds coming from the forest. A couple even mentioned the blonde woman and how nice and how hospitable she was. One review said evil lurks there and never go there. Another review said, a horrible witch demon. My friend had booked a cabin. I have no idea why he didn't read the reviews. This was too much. Multiple people had similar experiences that we just had, and we got to read them all freshly afterwards. 
There was no denying that the experience we had was unexplainable, but it was relieving to hear that we weren't the only victims. Now when I rent an Airbnb, I make sure I read all of the reviews thoroughly. That is an experience that I never want to have again. I grew up in a suburb that was between New York and Philadelphia. It was pretty rural when I was a kid. My development was surrounded by farms. By the time I got to high school, more houses were being built as people moved away from the big cities for a lower cost of living. Things really started to change when online shopping took off. All the cheap farmland within a two-hour drive of New York and Philly was bought up by corporations and turned into shipping hubs, warehouses, and Amazon fulfillment centers. The whole thing really divided people. Most agreed that the prefab metal warehouses were an eyesore, but others argued that they brought in a lot of jobs and helped the local economy. Traffic got worse. The open fields and trees disappeared. It was all kind of sad, really, but it did help the economy, so I guess I shouldn't complain too much. I moved back in with my parents during the pandemic. I work a remote marketing job, so it was a pretty easy move. I wanted to get out of Philly for the shutdowns. While I was home, I really saw how much the landscape had changed. I noted all the new warehouses and storage facilities, but there was one in particular that caught my eye. My dad likes to hunt pheasants and ruffed grouse, so we always had bird dogs growing up, English setters, Brittany spaniels, and the German short-haired pointers to be specific. Anyone who grew up with working dog breeds know they're high energy and they require a lot of exercise. As the remote worker in the house, it fell on me to walk the dog every day. These aren't normal leash walks around the block. We always let our dog run free through the fields in the thickets for an hour or two. Unfortunately, there was only one or two fields left for him to run in. It was also on these walks that I noticed something strange about one of the new warehouses built just outside my parents' development. For starters, it was separated from any other buildings at the far end of the field with a long driveway connecting it to the road. The driveway looped around to the back of the building, where there was a loading dock that was shielded from prying eyes by a thick patch of woods behind it. All of the other warehouses in the area were built in clusters to reduce cost and allowed them to share the common roadways and loading docks for the trucks. But this isolated warehouse looked like it was purposely built to be inconvenient. I didn't think too much of the isolated warehouse at first, but... But as I noticed more weird details about it on my walks, I started to suspect that something was going on in there. There were no windows and only one entrance on the back of the building. The door had large concrete block in front of it with a narrow slit. It looked like something an archer would hide behind in a castle in Game of Thrones. There was no fence around the structure, but while my dog was roaming the field, I noticed poles stuck in the ground with these dome-shaped cameras on top. I could hear the mechanical motors whining as the cameras panned inside their cases to watch me. I never saw a no trespassing or a private property sign, so I continued to let my dog run around the property on her morning walks. The fourth or fifth time I was walking in the field, something glinting in the sun on top of the building caught my eye. When I got closer, I saw the glint was from the glass of a spotting scope. Two men were on the roof watching me. This is the first time I was spooked by the whole situation. 
If it was a singular guy with binoculars, it would be one thing. But the spotting scope in the second guy made me think of those military movies where the sniper teams had one guy spotting while the other guy was shooting. I cut the walk short and went home. I didn't go back there for a few weeks. The more I thought about the incident, the more I convinced myself that I was being ridiculous. No warehouse in the suburbs would have a sniper team on the roof. I was just letting my imagination go wild after seeing the cameras. Regular businesses care about corporate espionage, so there's nothing suspicious about having basic security. Plus, it wasn't like I actually saw a gun on the roof. Just two guys watching me. One was some optics. So, I went back to the field because it was the only good place to let my dog off the leash within walking distance of my parents' house. The dog got himself wedged deep into a thicket chasing after squirrels. I could hear him rustling around in the trees, but he wouldn't listen to any of my commands, so I trudged in there after him. I came out on the other side of the trees, at the back of the warehouse where the loading dock and entrance were. Standing at the edge of the thicket was an angry-looking man holding my dog by the collar. I approached him slowly and tried to force a smile. As I approached, I saw the man subtly place his hand on his hip. It was then I noticed he was wearing jeans and a dark jacket. This was a few months into the pandemic, in June or July. It was way too hot to be wearing long pants and a jacket. This was a huge red flag for me, but I needed to get my dog. You can't be here, he said. Sorry, there wasn't any signs. I've always walked my dog here, I replied. He clenched his jaw and just pushed my dog towards me. That's when I noticed a line of vehicles coming up the driveway. They looked like they were driving in a formation. An 18-wheeler was being escorted by two black SUVs in front and two behind. The man stepped in front of me to block my view. He laid a hand on my chest, his other hand still hovering over the jacket pocket, and told me I had to leave the property right now. I don't know what's going on in that warehouse but I'm convinced that it's either a government site or some large, powerful corporation that wants to keep it hidden from the public eye. Either way, I don't go back there anymore. Hello there, Donovan. I'm a retired police officer, and some of the stories I could tell you would make everybody respect us and what we go through daily so much more. It was truly a thankless job. Nobody likes a police officer, but you need one when you need one. I will admit there were bad apples in our department, but most of my fellow officers get into their careers to help people and to protect their community. I've had some unbelievable experiences, but I've only had one true paranormal experience that made me a believer. There are things that can't be explained. There's no such thing as coincidences, and we don't understand everything that's going on in this world. One night, I received a call about an elderly woman hearing someone trying to break into her house through her attic. I put my lights and siren on and headed there as fast as I could. When I got there, she frantically swung open the door and screamed, Thank God you showed up. Thank God you came. I ran over to her and asked her where the burglar was coming from. She showed me the attic door and I crawled up to see what was going on. I searched that entire attic and didn't find anything out of the ordinary. There were boxes piled up and some pieces of furniture, but not a person trying to break into her house. There were no signs of human entry, and the window up there was locked, so I climbed back down the ladder. 
I told the woman she should get an exterminator, because if she heard something, it was more likely an animal. There was no way anybody was up there. She insisted that it was a person trying to get in, and even claimed that it was talking to her, saying things like, I'm going to get you, and let me out. Just to give her some peace of mind, I went up there and looked around for a while. I checked every square inch of that attic, and even opened boxes and looked inside. It's amazing what junk people save. I crawled back down the ladder and assured her that she is perfectly safe and that I didn't find a single living thing up there. She started crying and pleading with me, and said that whatever was up there was trying to get her in the night. I suggested that she stay with a friend or family member, and I told her I'd respond to another call. The woman kept calling 911 repeatedly that night, and continued doing so every day after that. I would go by and check on her once a day, and she would be hysterical every time I saw her, telling me some of the things that the person up there threatened to do to her. The threat she would describe kept getting more and more gruesome, and she didn't seem like the type of person to use that type of vocabulary. But I kept going up into the attic to appease her, and finding absolutely nothing. Weeks passed, and this became a regular part of my job. It was starting to wear on me. I explained to her that I could be out helping other people that really needed it instead of going up in her attic, but she was adamant that something was up there. I'll tell you something, though. I never thought she was doing it for attention. I did figure that she was getting older and more senile and was imagining things, but I believe she was experiencing something awful. I recommended she talk to a psychiatrist and told her to get a paranormal investigator to look into her attic. I didn't believe in any of that stuff, but I was desperate to help her get some relief, and I was really getting sick of going over there so needlessly. She agreed to do both, and I went to respond to another call. The next time I saw her, she told me that the paranormal investigators told her it was the most amount of activity they had documented in over five years. This actually freaked me out, and I went back up into the attic again. I felt something sinister in that attic but I kept telling myself that it was just my imagination reacting to whatever she had told me. Loudly enough for the lady to hear, I kept repeating, if you're not here for her greatest good, leave now and forever. And the power of Christ compels you. Both of these I have heard in movies about exorcisms and was mainly just doing so so she would believe me that the spirits were gone. I left after a while and she thanked me over and over again on my way out. That night, she was brutally murdered in her sleep. To this day, it's the most horrific crime that I've ever witnessed. She was stabbed multiple times over her entire body. Her face was unrecognizable, and some of her organs were pulled out of her. And many other details that I just won't share. I get nauseous even thinking about it. Forensics couldn't find a single piece of evidence, and the lady was beloved in the community. We couldn't figure out a single person that would want to do this to her and our community is still devastated by this tragedy. One thing that still actively haunts me is that the attic door was wide open on the night she was murdered. I know I closed it after I left that night. It could just be coincidence. That's what I've told myself multiple times. But it's the worst thing that I've ever seen, and I don't know how any person could have done something like this. I never talked to anyone who had anything bad to say about her, the feeling in that attic that night, along with the paranormal investigator's claims, was enough for me to be more of a believer. 
The brutality of the murder and the attic being open made me completely trust the poor lady's story, and I do believe that the paranormal entity that kept threatening her finally followed through with its promises. I wanted to tell you a frightening experience I had in June. I was so rattled by this encounter that I've actually put my log cabin up for sale. There's no way I'll ever feel safe again there. I've always loved vacationing in Maine. So much of the state is undeveloped. Over the years, I've seen badgers, coyotes, bear, deer, and moose, but I've never been in fear for my life until this past summer. My vacation cabin is located in Azacos Lake in Maine. I go there by myself to relax at least three times a year. During the winter, it's difficult, as you need to drive nine miles through rough logging roads, which are unplowed in the winter. I've skied in over the lake a time or two, but it's pretty exhausting. These days, I tend to just go when I can drive all the way in. I went up there in June and had a pleasant week, bird watching, hiking, listening to the loons cry on the lake. Toward the end of my stay, I decided to hike the trail that led to an overlook of the Androscoggin Valley. It was deemed difficult by the hiking book I have, but I was wanting a new experience. I got a new experience all right. The trail was a bit tougher than I had realized, overgrown with brambles and fallen trees blocking the way. The amount of debris overtaking the trail made me think no one had used it for a very long time. I got to the first stream crossing and caught a glimpse of a fawn in a doe, which cheered me and renewed my enthusiasm. I filled my water bottle and continued on knowing I wouldn't find any more water at the top of the mountain. The last leg of the trail involves steep rock faces, but according to the guidebook, you didn't need climbing equipment. There were enough toeholds and footholds that a relatively athletic person could navigate the boulders. I passed a few flat, large rocks that looked to be a prime place to eat lunch on the way down, and filed them away for future reference. By the time I reached the top, I was sweating pretty good. I felt victorious, up there above the tree line looking down at the Androscoggin Valley. The breeze felt good cooling me down, but an unpleasant odor was carried on the wind. It smelled like death. I looked around to find the source and spotted a bit of fur visible within the tangle of the undergrowth. I walked over to look and was surprised at what I saw. It was the remains of a deer. Its head was intact, but its eyes were still wide open in fright. The legs and hooves were still recognizable, but my stomach turned as I viewed the rest. Its entire torso had been ripped apart. All that was left was a hollow rib cage. I felt queasy looking down at it and backed away quickly. It ruined my enjoyment of the overlook, so I decided to get away from the smell and climb back down to the flat rocks. At that point, lunch was the furthest thing from my mind, but I thought it would be nice just to sit there and relax. Within 10 minutes, I had descended to the rock field and chose a nice flat rock. I sat cross-legged and turned my face up to the sun, trying to savor the last bit of vacation I had. Suddenly, I heard a crashing in the bushes above me. I was startled because it sounded like something very large. I turned my head to see, scanning the bushes, hoping it wasn't a bear. As soon as I started looking around, the noises stopped. It was eerily silent. No birds and even the wind had calmed down. I tried to relax, trying to get back into my zen state, but I felt anxious. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was watching me. I decided to head back. 
It would take about a half hour, I guessed, as it took an hour to climb up. I stood and scanned the trail above me once more, but nothing moved. So I started my descent. Every couple of minutes, I would hear a twig snap or leaves rustle. I would stop and wait, holding my breath, listening, and be greeted by silence. As soon as I began to move again, so would the noises. I finally stopped and called out, Hello? My voice sounded pitifully anxious. I waited, but there was no reply. I knew I wasn't imagining it. Something was following me. My heart started beating really fast, and I had the urge to run. I tried to calm myself down, but all I could think was, if it wasn't a person following me, then it was some sort of animal predator. I was so glad to see the cabin 50 yards ahead of me that I broke into a dead run. Immediately, I heard a snarling sound behind me, and my throat closed with fear. I knew instinctively that the animal that had been stalking me was now rushing to attack. I dropped my pack and raced to the door, getting inside and sliding the bolt. I ran to the window to look out, and I couldn't believe my eyes. I've never seen anything like it. My heart started pounding so hard I felt like my head would explode. The creature was frightening large, about seven or eight feet tall, and it looked like a werewolf. I know that's ridiculous, but it was on two legs, and it had the head and fur of a dog. It was barrel-chested and extremely muscular, with its front limbs hanging low about to its knees. I shrank back from the window, feeling so scared and sick, like I was going to faint. I heard the long claws scrape at my wooden door, scratching and growling, and I slid down the wall, sitting on the floor, praying it couldn't get in. I could hear it moving around the perimeter of the cabin, and a horrible stench like a wet dog began to waft through the cracks in the logs. Suddenly, its head appeared in the window, and I got a good look at its face. It looked like a creature from hell. A dog's muzzle, large fangs like a wolf, and these glowing yellow eyes. It was peering in, trying to locate me in my cabin. I stayed still and quiet, frozen with fear, hoping it wasn't smart enough to break the glass. A few minutes passed and it finally moved away. I could hear tearing noises as it found my backpack, and then there was silence. I waited a long time before moving, my legs going numb on the cabin floor. I was afraid to give away my location if it was just faking me out. Even though I was terrified, I made myself slide over to the window and look out. It was gone. My backpack was in shreds. It was almost evening and I was too afraid to walk the short distance to where I was parked. I stayed awake all night with the door bolted, afraid to even go out and use the outhouse. As soon as the full light of dawn broke, I made a run for it, getting into my truck and heading back down the mountain. Doors locked and stopping for no one. I haven't been back. I can't explain what I saw. But it has ruined my little cabin forever. I might buy a different place if this one sells. But it won't be in Maine.